0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is from Exodus 20, 14, and and also Hebrews 13, verse 4. Exodus 20, you shall not commit adultery, in Hebrews 13, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Spencer. Well, uh, good morning again to you. If I haven't met you, um, my name is Stacy Croft. I'm the pastor here at Christ press Music Row, and i glad to be able to uh, bring the passages to you, along with a few others, as we're walking through the Ten Commandments together, Um, and uh, glad you could hear from some of our staff uh, as uh, we have Aaron up here, and uh, also great to have last couple weeks uh, people from RUF, which is a campus ministry uh, that we support. It's part of our denomination, actually, uh, that is at uh, campuses around not only the country, but the, the world. That support that we support to bring the gospel and kingdom into um, those places and and uh, people who are on staff with them. So thankful to have uh, a number of you here uh, at our church. So, well, just a disclaimer: as you you may have just read those passages, this morning's sermon is a PG-ish type sermon. So, if that um, will uh, make any. Uh, movement for you or your children. Uh, just a heads up on that because we will be talking about sexuality. Surprise, there it is. Many of you may be watching as we've been going through the 10 commandments and you're like, okay, when are we gonna get, last time it was murder. You're like, okay, murder. We'll talk about murder. But most people, when they come to this one, um, adultery, it's one of those like, okay, here we go. You know, what we're gonna talk about this morning. It evokes a lot in us. It's different than the ones type, like murder, where you're like, okay, how does murder apply to me? Really? I know Jesus kind of equates anger and murder. But Jesus does that again, and he gets up underneath the behaviors of what we just read, which in Hebrew would read basically two Hebrew words, uh, both for even murder and for this week with adultery no adultery. Uh, there's actually, I don't know if you're podcasters. I'm sure most of you are. I love podcasts. I feel like I have a litany of them and almost like books on my shelf. I I, I, I want to get to all of them and never have enough time, um, you know, especially uh, be at a commute or something like that. I, I piecemeal a lot of podcasts. One of the ones I really have enjoyed lately is called Birds and Bees Podcast. It's actually one that's geared... Uh, Particularly towards uh, parents and families to talk about sexuality with kids. Birds and bees. There you go. Um, but I, I would encourage any of you to listen because one of the things I've really loved about this process is actually done by two women uh, from Dallas, Texas, and uh, two women I actually know. Uh, they're friends of mine. I've known from years past and in church past. Um, they do a great job talking about. How to have these conversations, and different than you might think. Now, many of us growing up may have had the talk um, about these kind of things, but what they actually endorse that I love and that we've actually espoused and believe in, uh, and and it really affirms what we believe in, is, is how do you have an ongoing conversation? What does it look like to reduce the volume of awkwardness and shame that this topic even brings by having... Instead of this one talk, farming in a relational, organic discussion over and over and over and over with your children. And I would say that I think they're on to something, not just doing that with kids. I think one of our problems as Christians talking about the topic of sex and sexuality is that we don't do that enough. It's an awkward kind of thing. It's either brought up on the news for something else or we're, you know, going like this, it's in our face or or we're entrapped in it in some way, dealing with sexuality in our own um, hearts and minds and lives around us. Instead of how do we actually discuss this and farm it in and know that the Bible doesn't hide it. It actually encourages us to learn and love what sex and sexuality is. And so, you know, even um, some time ago, I read a, a New Yorker article called Red Sex, Blue Sex, exactly sounding what you'd think. Politically and religiously, looking at our country and the way that we approach sex and sexuality, and one of the things that I really drew from it the most was the idea of shame that is connected, Regardless of blue, red state, regardless of uh, religious affiliation, uh, that shame is attached to it. And we're constantly trying to deal with the shame rather than dealing with the real relationship and the real heart issue. That's where this commandment is coming. Like all the commandments, I wanna encourage you. I wanna encourage you that the commandments don't begin with, don't do this. And this is one of those commandments, especially if you're coming in and you, <laughs> maybe you're new to church or maybe you're new to Christ Press Music Row and you're like, whoa, I came on a doozy. I came on the, the, one of the commandments. that the, the commandments actually don't begin with, don't commit adultery. They actually begin with God restating his relationship with Israel by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. Then he begins the commandments. And if we don't begin there when we talk about any of them, more or less this one, then you will miss like all of us have and we'll constantly go back into that cycle of shame that if anything, sexuality sticks its hooks into because that's how we've tried to solve it. But what if What if when the Lord gave this commandment, it was not him trying to say, you better watch yourself. But it was more of him saying, don't do this because the way that you are to understand relationship is not necessarily to sexualize it, but to flourish in it with me and everyone else around you. Because I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. So we're gonna look at this passage in a couple ways. And, and if, again, and this may be like, duh, to you for me to say this. Every week, um, especially if you're new here or watching, um, we actually unpack the Bible. <laughs> uh, we unpack, what does the Bible say? What does God's word say about this? So every time we're going to go back to it, and especially this morning, we're going to look at a number of passages. But we want to know, what does what God's word His mouth, what does he speak about this to us? We're gonna look at it in two ways the problem of our affections and the purpose of our affections. The problem and purpose of our affections. Um, The problem of our affections, you know, one of the biggest parts of this is not, again, so much that. The Bible, as many have grown up, and I think even that article from New Yorker is drawing out, is that it's been that sexuality and sex itself is slammed by religion, particularly Christianity. And I think that's why so many of us have grown up in shame cycles because of that. But it really deals with dehumanization. It deals with sexualization of healthy relationships. That's what this commandment is getting at. I wanna read to you another passage we didn't read this morning, but I'm actually gonna anchor majority of what I'm gonna speak to you on is what Jesus said about this when he talked about this commandment in what was called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. He began this way in Matthew chapter five, verse 27. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, what Jesus is doing is he's not just camping out at the behavioral issue because in fact, that's actually what was going on in Jesus's day. And I think that's where a lot of our shame and behavioral issue comes from. We don't get to the heart of the matter. And Jesus says, where adultery really gets to is to the heart. Where does lust really begin? What is lust anyway? And he says lustful intent. It's a taking. It's a grabbing. In fact, when we do our confession Uh, in a little bit of the Heidelberg Catechism before we come to communion. In fact, you'll notice that the seventh commandment in the Heidelberg Catechism doesn't even really mention sex when it talks about what lust is. It just says it is a desirous taking for yourself. And we do that through sexuality. That's what lust is. It's the movement in you to grasp something and it is deep within your heart. And I think one of the biggest problems of sex, and I think there are two real halves of it. I mean, you could, you know, see a spectrum of it. One is a big part of how sex has been undervalued in our society and culture and idea. And one is how it's been overvalued. You know, this passage describes um, in in Matthew chapter 5, what we pursue is, is, Beautiful sex, but sexual desire. Beauty and sex are tied. Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament. Maybe you've heard of Proverbs. You usually think of it as wisdom. It actually was a book written to children to learn, particularly young men, to grow up in. How do you learn about the world? How do you learn wisdom, right? Because that's actually what this is. It's not just, I'm gonna give you a rule and you need to follow it. But how do you live with wisdom as life comes at you with things that are not just easy yes or no, this or that answers. Proverbs chapter 30 talks about it this way, and we're gonna flip a few times in Proverbs as you look around with me. Proverbs chapter 30 talks about it as an appetite. It says this, Proverbs 30, verse 20, says, this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Paul picks this up in his letters in Corinthians when he talks about how the church, Corinth, actually was dealing with sexuality. They were dealing with it like, uh, food is for the stomach, so I eat. And sex has been reduced to that. In fact, I I read a a Stanford publication uh, not too long ago that was called, Is Food the New Sex? It was very interesting. Uh, It was was discussing as she wrote this uh, about how From the sexual revolution years ago, now to where we are currently, there's actually a food revolution that almost looks, in a sense, more and reversed from what that was. (laughs) If you think about it for a minute, how much we value food, how much we think about and obsess about what we eat, our diets, our workouts, Right? What we're actually putting in our bodies, the number of documentaries, the number of things that we, that we lean into, the number of cooking shows, the number of cookbooks we have that change the diet every so often, the number of calories we count. What are we doing? We're putting morale, as she says, and I love this, she says there's a reversal of value and moral. The reversal of values and moral. And instead of how we used to look at sexuality that way, now we've actually put those in, the food category of what we value these things. And, and listen to what she says. I found this as interesting. One more critical link between the appetites for sex and food is this. Both, this is the equal issue. Both if pursued, this is Stanford publication. This is not a Christian thing. Both if pursued without regard to consequence can prove ruinous not only to oneself but also to other people and even to society. What is she getting at? She's saying the idea, the understanding, if we put sex in a category in which I think is a large factor of what we've done today to try and deal with, how do we deal with the shame of it or the issues of it? We've reduced it often to, it's a desire, we need it, pursue it. But that can be very dangerous. That can be dangerous with anything, as she's saying, even with food, with anything. It would be fascinating to look at how any of us have dealt with the pandemic post? What is the thing that we carried on with us? I think one person that I talked to was, many people picked up working out, and just as much as anything else, working out obsessively can be bad for your health. as much as anything. Taking care of your health is good, but an obsessive compulsive lust, a grabbing of, I need to eat, I need to take care of this, I need to work, I need to do these kind of routines, can also put us in a place of unhealth, to deal with things that we may need to deal with that we aren't. And so we deal with it as an appetite. I think C.S. Lewis in that famous quote that many of us have heard before said it beautifully. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We undervalue. And we reduce it. Instead of realizing the joy of, what does it really mean? What does God do? The other side of that, of course, is overvaluing it where we make it more than what it is. Sexuality becomes a commodity rather than, uh, or a product rather than a person. Uh, Look, I I even think this happens in uh, current TV shows, And, and being consistent in this, think about this, not just the way that we talk about sex outside of marriage, but sex at all can be overvalued. Uh, Oftentimes I'm amazed at on reality TV shows how the person is constantly or consistently, there's usually at least one, maybe two people are consistently identified as a virgin, which is great. This passage is talking about biblical marriage. It's talking about sex within marriage, between a man and woman. It's talking, it's getting at that. But what we're doing when we put the title of the virgin on ourselves We're being just as inconsistent with this commandment by holding our sexuality up in a different way. Saying, I'm a virgin, I haven't had, putting our sexuality forward as overvaluing it as who we are. It's a very similar issue. I think most of the struggles we have, and I'm not going to venture into long that territory, I would say, deal with that. Inconsistency of what we talk about when we talk about sexuality, be it any venture of territory in that, the inconsistencies of how we see ourselves as sexual beings, and we are the Bible upholds those, it, 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 it brings those forward. But the problem is, is in that Jesus brings out here that is amazing, he says, <clears throat> Something kind of startling, he says. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that of your whole body. Be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away for it is better to lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Jesus draws out a couple members of the body, one being the eyes, the other being the hand. But he talks about these in light of what are the ways that you're taking in these things? How is that coming in? How do we overvalue it? The taking, be it eyes or hands. Uh, Proverbs again in chapter six talks about the taking, the desire. And in fact, it's alluding to back when David saw Bathsheba from his rooftop. And what it's saying is that when David saw Bathsheba with his eyes, he then moved to his hands to take her for himself, The taking, that's what the lustful intent is, is knowing the progress, knowing, being aware of those things. And here's how that farming in the discussion happens. Because most of the time, when we are doing that, it's not safe for us to talk to anybody that what we're taking into our eyes or pursuing with our hands. We find ourselves alone, isn't that what it does? It drives us to isolation. And what sex can do to us unhealthily, both in this way, and I love how the scriptures do this, and ironically, um, my, uh, this last week, uh, and actually two weeks, last two weeks, my office has flooded, so it seems like floods follow me. Um, <laughs> the rain that has come down my office at Christ Press Old Hickory I'm sure people are like you must be like the Jonah of floods we're just gonna throw you out of the office so any of you that don't know my home flooded in March and now my office is filling with water so it's like I don't know what the deal is but um but then of course the Lord has been using uh, even passages that I would skip over before that talk about an abundance of water uh, I don't skip over um Particularly one here that I think is very profound. In Proverbs chapter five, it says this in verses 15 and 16. Listen to this. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth the imagery he's saying what what does water do water contained in its in its healthy way works just as it should but a flood does exactly what it should a flood scatters that water that's what he's getting to drink from that cistern take it in it's meant to be taken in it's meant to be enjoyed to for refreshment but a flood goes beyond that it becomes ruinous to all those around And it lingers. I've told many of you, I'm still opening containers and finding water in places that shouldn't still have water four to five months later that it just held. There's a reason in his wisdom Solomon used this illustration. And to the same degree, it's not just a flood, it's also a drought. A drought is just as ruinous A drought is just as much detrimental to that land. Sex is to be encouraged. It's to be known and understood in the proper context. So what is its purpose in our affections? How do we approach it positively in our lives? Jesus makes sense of our desires. That's what he's really getting at here. What, What he says, and I think it's really startling when Jesus talks about the purpose of our affections He actually is moving into a positive state. He says, you heard it uh, said, you shall not commit adultery. But I said, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It says, we've all been leveled. But then he moves into this practical sense. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Whoa. I read an article in USA Today of a guy who, felt like he was too addicted to the internet he actually cut off his hand and took, and went in to the hospital and it was kind of interesting and even the way his mom talked about it they said they were like they're interviewing his mom and say what's the deal So said we cannot accept what has happened it was completely out of the, out of the blue he is a smart boy But there's something about what this boy was doing, this guy was thinking about, that Jesus isn't necessarily saying, if you cut him off, cut off parts of your body, you're not necessarily getting rid of the sin. What is he getting at? What is Jesus really getting to? He is getting to the stark understanding that we need to approach this very seriously. And in reality, not haphazardly and not hidden, but in reality with seriousness with love it's the purpose of this is to get to the heart of our relationship if he begins with the heart and then he says you're going to cut off eyes and cut off hands is jesus like wait 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 is he getting all fundamental on me no he's saying we need to look different we need to pursue different Here's what's interesting. In that time, in Paul's letters, you can read in Corinthians, again, there's a number of passages on sexuality, sexuality in the church, but sex and worship was a major issue. In fact, if you did excavating <clears throat> in, the, uh, in a lot of the, the temples of lower G gods in the Roman Empire, you would find a lot of sexual uh, 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 imagery around and it's because they connected those things. And what Paul is doing from Jesus is to say, how do we make sense of the one who is governed over our lives? How do we make sense of that? Even origin, old church, early church fathers thought, man, this passage is real. You're supposed to cut off members of your body just to make, maintain purity. But if you're thinking with me, those things, the water stays. So how, how do we get to the heart Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's not just that. It's cutting and casting the source. It's getting to the source. It's addressing it seriously of what really is in control of us. See, why does Jesus talk about the eye? Because the eye is the window, and it's often talked this way in the Old and New Testament. It's the window into your soul. In fact, it is said that oftentimes certain specific sexual images will stay within us Chemically, when we take them in into our minds, because more than even specific drugs, hard narcotics that are taken in society, they will actually linger longer, those images, and do more in terms of us chemically than even those will. That's how powerful our eyes are. And our mind is in captivating. The Lord has to go into the places that cut it off. This is why in Job in the Old Testament, one of the, actually the oldest book recorded is Job. And if you remember Job, the story of Job, many of us think about Job as he had this hard life, he lost all these things, his relationship with the Lord, those kind of things. Just the, embedded in that is when he talks about his eyes, he says, Lord, may I make a covenant with my eyes. What is he doing? He's not just saying, may I make, have hard accountability. And I think for a lot of us, maybe we need some accountability that's harder than not. But what he's actually getting at is saying, we need to be in relationship, healthy relationship. He's saying, Lord, may I have a covenant? A covenant was a relationship. It was a way that you processed life. It was what you entered into. In fact, a covenant you see most often is a marriage. It's a wedding ceremony. How do our eyes fit into that? How do our bodies and our lives knowing and being known? That's what it is. See, what really gets to the heart when I've sat with a number of men, and I know that this is not just a man's thing, I've sat with a number of women over the years as I was a campus minister and still do, that this is still a struggle for most, that how do we deal with this sexuality in our lives and our marriages, the way that we pursue certain things that we shouldn't? It's not through the shame cycle of hiding ourselves. Shame disintegrates when light of relationship is shed onto it. Remember the passages. Remember the passages. Why in Hebrews, a book of the New Testament, say, let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. It's to be lifted up. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. There's a positive and negative side to that. That the marriage bed is to be lifted up and encouraged and celebrated in a proper relational context and to have people around us that we can talk to that know us because our Lord God does. Think about this. How does the Bible begin? It begins with Adam and Eve naked in the garden, naked and ashamed? No, Unafraid. I mean, there's even a Discovery Channel show that they made to pit off of this idea. Naked and Afraid, I don't know if you've heard of that or seen the previous four. It's basically they take people, they strip them naked, throw them in the wilderness and see how long they can last. Isn't that a picture of how we feel in real life? Fully clothed, When it comes to this topic, see what... Jesus is doing is to get to the heart of we're trying to solve two problems one is that we feel naked and we don't want anybody to see us at all but two we're still trying to deal with how do I deal with my shame I'm going to either really demean sex or I'm going to really demean my shame but Jesus does neither one of those Jesus doesn't demean sex. The Bible doesn't do that in any way that we talk about. And we don't talk about this enough. If we wonder, this is, I love what Tim Keller said in a speech he gave to a bunch of seminary students that said, how do we change the world? And he's like, I don't know. And they were like, wait, you're Tim Keller. Aren't you like the guy who knows everything. And I love what he said to them. He said, one of the biggest things we need, he gave like a a series of things, of ways we ask the questions, is counter-catechesis. It means, how are we teaching one another, speaking to one another in in order, not just to teach our kids, because we're all scared, oh, the big bad world is gonna teach our kids. Yes, but we're already in it. We're drinking the same water how do we not just help our kids shame? We need to deal with our own shame first in order to help them, right? Put your mask on first, right? What do you do on an airplane? Things fall out, you put it on, what they always say to you, put your mask on first. Why? Because they know your first inclination is to put the mask on the kid. But if you can't breathe, you can't help your children or any children around you. We have to first understand, how do we deal with our shame? Because Jesus doesn't skip over it. God doesn't do that. He doesn't diminish your shame and he doesn't diminish sex. He says, you feel shame because you need to be known. You need to be loved. The gospel is good news, even when it comes to, you shouldn't commit adultery. Because you know what? There may be people in this room that have. Literally, Many of us in this room have figured through it in our heads, contemplate it. And you know what Jesus just said? He said, All of us have done it. And that doesn't just mean men, it means every one of us have a heart of that. So, what do we do with our hearts? If you're tracking with the logic, and Jesus said, Your lustful intent comes from here, and then He said, If your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If your hand, causes you to sin, cut it out. But wait, he said, my heart causes me to sin. What happens when you cut your heart out? You die. So why does Jesus do that? Because he knows that we can't. Because the reason Jesus comes with the good news to draw up underneath the behaviors is because our hearts need to be transformed. And we need to be given a new heart. And we come to a table like this to realize that none of us can come to this table and deal with our own shame. None of us can. No one in this room can manage their own shame because you always go back to it. Who's the only one whose heart wouldn't have to be cut out and yet it was so that we might be given a new one? so that we can live in a relationship of purity and hope and rejoicing and sexuality and actually show the culture around us. Even in that culture, it was so interesting. The Greeks and the Romans said, these Christians are weirdos. There are inscriptions of this all over the place. They say they share their table with everyone and they share their beds with none. Because it displayed not a prudity, or even holding out a purity, or say, I'm a virgin. It said, I'm a Christian. And because I follow Jesus, no matter what your sexual past is, all of us have a brokenness in it. We can't come to this table and taste the freedom of the good news, trying to manage that shame of whatever that may be. It may be so heavy, but this table invites you just as Jesus invited the woman who was to be stoned. If you come and you think you don't have sin, please don't take of this table. What does he say to the woman who was caught in adultery? He said, those without sin cast the first stone and they all dropped their stones and walked away. And what did he say to her after? He said, you know what, go and sin no more. Not because she wasn't ever gonna sin again, but because she was going to live in a relationship with someone totally different. We have a person of our affections that transforms all of the way that we live. Bring your shame, bring your heartache, bring your brokenness and be healed and taste that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.